everyone, this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and today I'm going to be taking my first look at uh, the Lord of the Rings set. So at the time of this recording, I have not played any games with any of these cards. I will be participating in the early access stream tomorrow to really get a feel for this, but uh, this is uh, just based on my first impressions before playing with any of the cards. So I spent this morning kind of studying each of the color pairs, uh, going over the commons in a lot of depth. But just so you understand where I'm coming from, this is based on a cursory look at the uncommons, extensive look at the commons, but I'm not putting a ton of analysis into like overall power level of the colors and more looking at synergy in the archetypes. And so there's some amount of like, if a card doesn't look good, then I will not assume that it's going to contribute a lot to synergies. But, you know, for a certain archetype, I might say that uh, it doesn't look to me like there's a lot going on here. That doesn't necessarily mean the archetype is weak. It just means that I don't feel like the cards play off of each other in any particularly obvious way. Still, if both colors are very, very good and the deck is just made up of strong cards, it can be a strong archetype. But that's going to appear less satisfying the way that I'm looking at the cards for this first impression. So um, this is largely looking at kind of what I think the direction of each of the colors seems to be and what kinds of things I'd be keeping in mind and which directions I'd want to go and stuff like that. So getting into it, you can follow along with the notes at patreon.com slash drafting archetypes. For this episode, I did compile 10 common skeletons that are all in my notes. I'm not going to be going over the details of all those in the podcast, but uh, you can find all of those in the notes. Uh, this is Two pages of notes, unusually. So getting into kind of each of the archetypes, their um, stated thing as per uh, like Mark Rosewater's article roughly is blue-white is about uh, draw two cards as the like mechanical payoff and then kind of just like, I guess you have some flyers or whatever. Blue-black is a controlling amass deck with some ability to do like some mill stuff, potentially a little bit of human synergy. Uh, some of the mill stuff cares about like instant and sorcery count. So number of instants and sorceries in your deck can matter. Red black is like orc slash goblin army, some sacrifice stuff, generally more aggressive amass. Red green is power matters ostensibly. I don't think there's a ton of support for that. Like almost every red-green, this feels a little loose to me. Green-white is uh, food slash hobbit aggro slash uh, some amount of tempted by the ring stuff. White-black is some amount of like legendary, which is supported by the ring stuff, and then some amount of like go-wide token sacked type stuff. Blue-red is wizards and or instants and sorceries matter. Uh, Black-green is food slash recursion. Red-white is go-wide human 
aggro, arguably you can be a little bit bigger of a deck, according to Rosewater. Like, you could be aggro or mid-range, theoretically. And then blue-green is elves slash scrying. A lot of the elves scry or care about scrying, so it's really like a scry matters deck, which of course means that it's very good at splashing, because you get to see a lot of cards to like do your fixing and stuff. As far as big picture uh, mechanic stuff, the main unique thing that's going on in this set is the ring tempts you. So for those who don't understand how this mechanic works or know what it does, that's totally reasonable. It's new and pretty weird. The first time the ring tempts you, you get a ring emblem and that emblem levels up the next three times that it tempts you. So it has like four total stages. And after that, nothing in particular. Well, every time the ring tempts you, you get to appoint a creature to be your ring bearer. The ring bearer is legendary and gets some other benefits from the effects of the ring based on what level you are. And yeah, like dungeon, but non-repeatable, that's a way to think about it certainly but it's kind of giving you stacked scaling benefits as opposed to just like a one-time effect so the first time you are tempted by the ring you get this ring emblem you choose one of your creatures to be the ring bearer that creature becomes legendary and then the, and becomes your ring bearer and then the first stage of this ring emblem basically gives it skulk it can't be blocked by creatures with greater power and then the second time you get tempted, you go to level two of the ring, which lets the creature, which lets you uh, loot when your ring bearer attacks. And then the third time, like at the end of combat, they, uh, any creatures that block the ring bearer get sacrificed. And then the fourth time, when it damages your opponent, they lose three more life. So fundamentally, the effect of the the ring tempts you mechanic is basically it rewards creatures with a low power because the first level it gives this skulk effect it uh somewhat in encourages like splashing or anything else where looting matters like recursion and graveyard count it also you know very very significantly buffs the legendary matters stuff uh there are a lot of cards in the set that care about legendary creatures there are a good number of legendary creatures at uncommon and rare, but you can much more reliably have a legendary creature than that because there are a lot of commons that make the ring tempt you, and then that lets you make a creature that you have that's a common into a legendary creature. So, so that stuff happens. Yeah, draw two mechanic is another good example of a mechanic that cares about the looting thing. Um, and then broadly, the ring punishes blocking, right? Like it kind of forces games to end um the skulk ability means that like big creatures don't block well and then the sacrifice ability means that like blocking it all is hard and then the like life loss ability is really saying hey you know this ring bearer is actually going to end the game the the existence of the ring makes things harder for like super 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 grindy control decks that are like trying to block and play a really long game but I don't think that like the tempted by the ring stuff is like great 
for aggro decks. It's good, but I don't think that it, you know, threatens to end the game super fast, right? Like, I don't think that it increases the number of games that end on turn five in a meaningful way, but I think it decreases the number of games that end after turn nine. That's, of course, not to say that anyone with, you know, an amount of Tempted by the Ring stuff is always going to beat anyone with a, like, super, super slow control deck. The super slow control deck can just kill every ring bearer and not worry about it. But as far as the kind of pressure that this mechanic puts on the format, that's kind of what I see it doing on like a macro level. Most cards where the ring tempts you are like an instant or sorcery or a creature ETB that just says the ring tempts you in addition to whatever else it's doing. So most of the time that the ring tempts you it's a one-time thing. So to get to like the fourth stage of ring tempting, you have to play four different ring tempts you cards. There are a few exceptions at uncommon and there are some more rares. Five different uncommons that can like pretty reasonably tempt you multiple times by themselves. Uh, they're kind of spread out between different colors and they have like different hoops and it's not like super easy to get tempted a lot by the same card. So that's kind of overview about like what's new here and how to think about the impacts of the ring stuff. So going a little deeper into each color pair, blue white overall looks pretty low synergy to me. The draw two payoffs at common are expensive and unimpressive. They're like, four and five mana creatures they get a plus one plus one counter when you draw your second card um at uncommon it gets a little bit better there's like a two mana two two that makes a one one when you draw your second card but the total number of things that pay you for this is pretty low their total impact is pretty low for the most part i think your deck just does the things that your deck does more than like really being about like this draw two thing like i, I think that the draw two thing looks less significant here than it did in blue red and eldraine at a glance and i didn't feel like it was a super big deal there if you do have and play some of that stuff then it means that like the tempted by the ring stuff is a little bit better because once you get to the second level of ring then that uh creature looting when it attacks helps trigger your stuff but for the most part i feel like you know you're blue and white doing the stuff that blue and white does together you can have like some card draw and some defensive white removal you can have some evasive creatures but there, there's not like a ton of synergy in this color pair uh that immediately jumps out to me at least black itself just has a ton of internal synergy there are a lot of cards that like make little amass creatures or uh like other like one ones that amass or whatever things that you like it's very very easy to generate fodder and it's pretty easy to sacrifice that fodder for some amount of value there's like a one mana removal spell that sacks a creature to kill a creature or you can spend four mana instead of a sacking a creature we've seen a lot of cards like that um there's uh like a village rights variant um that uh draws three cards if you sack a legendary which I think it's legendary that makes the draw three and that could be like some random thing that you made a ring bearer to sacrifice so black kind of can do the black synergy stuff regardless of what it's paired with 
Blue does offer some support for it. Blue has some more amassing and uh, the general like controlling plan between the two colors looks pretty solid to me. I think that there's not like all that much cross color mechanical synergy here, but like strategic synergy looks pretty good. So blue, blue black is a little bit more appealing to me than uh, blue white. Red black, after looking at like blue black and seeing how much synergy there was just in terms of like making objects and sacrificing them and stuff in black, I kind of expected that red black would be in a really good place. And it's not bad. Red has a bit of extra synergy there. There's like a two mana deal for it any target where you have to sacrifice a creature or artifact. There are a few different red commons that make 1 1 tokens to help fuel both the red and black sack stuff. But Overall, I would say there's like a little bit less than you might expect. There isn't like a common threat or anything to go with all this sacrifice stuff. It doesn't look bad, but it, you know, black can kind of do this sacrifice thing when it's paired with any color, and it doesn't feel like it's as much better with red as one might expect. Red-green, like I said earlier, as usual, I'm just not really impressed by what's going on here. Uh, there are some, you know, four power creatures and some four power creatures matters stuff and some like small creatures that can grow some synergy between like the green stuff that makes food and the red stuff that sacrifices things. So, you know, there, there's not nothing going on, but uh, it it's it suffers from a lot of the usual gruel issues that I talked about uh, in like the podcast about red-green in um, March the Machine, for example. I, I really, I would like it if at some point Wizards would have, like, a serious look into how to make red-green and limited matter, like, to be a thing. And I, I, I'm increasingly feeling like the issue is just that red-green is about like four and five and six mana creatures and at common four five and six mana creatures just don't scale up for the extra mana paid as much as they need to to be strong enough for red green to function just in general so it would be nice to see more like i don't know maybe those creatures just get a little bit bigger for their mana something but it it just consistently doesn't add up under the current design philosophy. Green-white, I really like what's going on. I'm interested to see how it plays. So green-white is like hobbits and food. It has some, there's like some concern about a lot of the creatures being naturally low power, but a lot of the like food synergies can give you a bunch of extra damage. And they have like a pretty good looking low curve. I think a uh, second breakfast, two and a white uh, instant, two target creatures each get plus two plus one and make a food uh, might actually end up being pretty significant for uh, this deck. If you can, you know, generate attacks where you're like having two different blocks go well or pushing a bunch of extra damage or something, getting value out of the food. Basically, it was looking like it's like a little bit low on tricks but then if that's like a good trick then it's not low on tricks all of the like synergistic cards in this deck that i would want to play cost like one two and three mana 
and there's like a bit of concern about like, well, if maybe all your stuff is too low impact. I'm optimistic about like the food synergies, letting your your cheap stuff be high impact enough. Also, the tempted by the ring stuff helps a lot there. But on top of that, I think that the land cyclers in this set are really good. Just in general, the fact that it only costs one colorless instead of two colorless to land cycle is a complete game changer. There's so much lower opportunity cost to play with. Um, and so I could see green-white playing like a pretty low land count with uh, some land cyclers at the top end. And then just drawing into those eventually uh, gives you like pretty strong late game if you're worried about your you know hobbits being too low impact in some matchups. So for enemy color pairs, white-black I kind of mentioned before. I think white-black just looks really good to me. A lot of uh, synergy in terms of like go wide and sacrifice and things that are paying you for doing this stuff. A lot of like tokens with the Mirkwood bats, which are the black flyer that your opponent loses life when you create or lose a token. Good removal. I really like everything that's happening with white-black at a glance. Blue-red is like an instance and sorceries matter type deck where there aren't really that many creatures that I want to play, which is pretty cool because there are just a ton of instants and sorceries that make creatures. So you can really, really lean into your creatures that care about instants and sorceries. So you get like Aerobot Flamesmith, which is 2-1 that does one damage to your opponent when you play an instant or sorcery. You get a couple of those down, and then there are a lot of cantrips, a lot of like instants and sorceries that make creatures. And then there's an uncommon that like damages a creature for instance and sorceries in your graveyard and uh, extra excess damage hits the opponent. So if you get just like a couple of flamesmiths and a couple of those, you can play like, you know, five creatures in your deck or something, but a bunch of spells that make creatures. And I think that this is a deck that's just going to be really, really good at burning your opponent out. Um, so. For those of you who like the uh, Firebrand Archer style decks, uh, I think that Blue Red is going to, you know, really deliver on that. Play the way that those decks tend to play. Black Green, I was kind of optimistic about it, but it feels like it's I don't know missing something. I think there's some potential here, but I would probably usually want to be three color. There's a Green Lay of the Land, Green Search Your Library for Basic, put it in your hand that makes a food. And that's like pretty good in black green because you're a bit of a slower deck and you have some food slash token synergies. And I feel like once you're there with like the looting stuff from the Tempted by the Ring, I don't know. I feel like I would probably usually want a third color in my black green deck. Ideally, I think Abzan sounds pretty good. So those are like the three colors that care a lot about food. I think you can just get a lot of like grindy food synergy stuff. Yeah, black green doesn't seem bad, but I feel like I'm it's usually going to want to be three color. White red could be good, not super interesting to me. It has, you know, some go wide stuff. There's a very 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 good goblin fodder type card. Uh one in red make two humans, they both have haste. Um so like a better forbidden friendship. And then you have like a white four mana three three that makes a one one. So you get a good amount of like human tokens. And then there's like a four mana, put a plus one plus one counter on all your creatures and they get vigilance. 
and there's like a decent uh, two mana equipment. So, you know, the, the humans matters thing is like humans go wide is what white red is doing. Some reasonable uh, synergy seems pretty good. Not really my thing, but doesn't seem bad. And then blue green is uh, like I mentioned, elves and scry and all the elves care about scrying. And there's a lot of scry and a lot of elves that pay you for it. I kind of wonder to what extent just like every scry card is actually going to be like a blue-green gold card versus like how much other decks are just going to want to have some random scry dudes in them. But the payoffs for scrying seem better than the payoffs for drawing an extra card. They just cost a little bit less mana. Um, it seems a little bit more realistic to like get it to happen a bunch at the time when you're looking to do it. And then, of course, because you're playing like scry tribal... Uh, you have very good fixing because, um, you know, you get to look at a bunch of cards to find your other colors of mana. So this is another uh, deck that I think, you know, as is usually the case with blue-green, is going to splash a lot. Uh, sometimes maybe it'll be totally open and you're just going to be like linear scry aggro and then you won't necessarily splash. But um, it's very, very easy to play the Scry Matters stuff and splash other colors and go a little bit more defensive. Uh, since Black Green is also looking for more colors, I could see Sultai, but, you know, Bant or Teamer also seem fine. Just, you know, splashing removal or whatever in your blue-green deck, always totally reasonable. So, yeah, th those are the color pairs. Um, I touched on this a little bit, but the multicolor decks that seem most appealing to me, uh, you know, three-plus colors, are... Grixis, where you get all the Spells Matter stuff. I think that Black has a good number of instants and sorceries that you want. And you end up being like a lot more controlling than the Blue-Red deck. I think like the Blue-Red deck is really more of a burn deck. Whereas um, Grixis is going to be more structurally similar to Blue-Black. But then splashing red for extra removal and stuff in a way that I think is going to be reasonably functional. Abzan, I talked about, it's, you know, more similar to... It's more like black-green plus black-white, not so much of the green-white. Green-white is more aggressive, where both black-white and uh, black-green are looking pretty grindy, and I think that those combine pretty well into, like, a grindy package. And then uh, blue-green X really, really doesn't matter what your third slash fourth slash fifth colors are when you have a good blue-green core. Um, and then maybe there's something to Jund in the, like, sacrifice mid-range kind of space. So those are my thoughts on how the colors fit together, what they're doing, roughly how appealing they are to me. And uh, that's that's kind of what I what I got. Um, that's the stuff that I felt like I could form some useful first impressions about that would give me some direction going into uh, the early access drafting that I'm going to be doing tomorrow. So yeah, I'm going to turn it over to uh, Twitch chat for questions and general discussion. While people are coming up with any questions you have. Um, as always, I will uh, direct listeners to consider joining the Drafting Archetypes Patreon at patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes. 
get in now at the beginning of a new set, get uh, access to my notes, including all these skeletons that I mentioned, and uh, draft logs, and coaching discounts, and what have you. So, uh, let's see. Well, I pack one, pick one, the bath song. So the bath song is a saga that uh, loots a couple of times and then, well, better loots, draw, like, draw two, discard one, I think. Um, and then most importantly, it loops your deck. Uh, the third chapter is shuffle any number of target cards from your graveyard into your library, add blue, blue. If you have two bath songs, they can shuffle each other in. If you have bath song and any regrow effect, you can uh, loop with that. I do not expect that I will first pick the Bath Song, but it is a card that I would be happy to play with and um, try to get a little bit later. I'm certainly gonna try it. I'm certainly gonna try it out, but I'm not gonna do it by first pick, first pack Bath Song very often. I think. Do I think that non-green decks will be disincentivized to splash? I mean, it's always easier to splash if you're green than if you're not green, because green has fixing. That said, green doesn't have all that much fixing, and there are certainly other ways to do it. And like I said, I think that, you know, Grixis, for example, is a pretty good uh, three-color group that doesn't involve green. And then the existence of, like, looting from the ring, the scrying that exists in blue, regardless of whether you play the green scry stuff, the land cyclers that are really, really good and only cost one to land cycle. All of those, I think, make it relatively easy to splash if you're not green. So I, I do think that there will be a decent number of like three-color non-green decks. I, I don't think that non-green is more punished from splashing than usual. I think it's less than usual, really. There doesn't seem to be any anything obvious that fights the blue-red strategy in other colors. Is there anything in particular that you're looking for when considering fighting that strategy? So the thing about blue-red is that it's fundamentally a burn deck, which means that you can kind of run out of gas. And so the deck might be designed to like do 20 damage. And I could see it theoretically actually struggling with food tokens. Um, like if you just start sacrificing food to gain life, the blue-red deck could like peter out. The blue land cycler, five mana, draw three cards, helps a lot with that. And I can certainly imagine blue-red decks that are more designed to go big. But as far as, like, how do you fight against this? Having some, like, big creatures that are difficult for them to answer, supported with a bunch of food to gain life to stop them from burning you out easily, seems to me like a pretty good strategy for fighting them. A mass is a little difficult to evaluate for me. For example, I'd play a 2-2 that makes a treasure, but less sure about a mass to make a treasure. I feel that there's this interesting tension with a mass where you kind of want to evaluate all of it as just like make a token, but then when you have too much of it, you're like, oh wait, I'm not making bodies with all this stuff I wanted to be making bodies with, I'm just making one bigger and bigger thing. And sometimes that's good, and sometimes it's really bad. And then also, there are some cards that pay you for having a big army. So the more of that you have, the more it starts to be like, oh, wait, actually, this is better than going wide. I think you really need to be thinking about like what your plan is with your amass cards. Do you have a payoff for this? 
Are you planning to sacrifice your mass? If you're planning to sacrifice your mass, you need to make sure that, you know, you have enough density of like sack things and other things to sack so that when your like a mass token gets too big and you don't want to sacrifice it, your sack stuff isn't dead. But yeah, it it, it is just a bit tricky. Um as far as like the two two that makes a treasure versus a mass two make a treasure, I think a lot of the appeal there is in the well, this is a spell. So like it's good with your spells and graveyards matter stuff, your blue red spells matter stuff. But yeah, it's it's gonna take some getting used to, I think. Both a mass and tempt seem like mechanics that get worse if you run too many cards with the effect. Is that something to keep in mind when drafting? Uh so Again, kind of touching on what I was just saying. I think both change what they're giving you when you have a lot. Like, if you're using Tempt to have a legendary creature, then Redundant Tempt isn't very good. But if you're using Tempt and you're really leaning into the late chapter's to finish, or you're really counting on turning on the looting early, then a density of tempt actually helps. Similarly with a mass, if you're trying to use a mass as a way to go wide, and you have a bunch of things that like make a body and a mass, then you might find that you're failing to go as wide as you wanted. But you'll also find that it might be good for your go-wide deck to make a really big creature. And there are amassed payoffs that pay you for having a really big amassed creature. There's like a red uncommon that like flame tongues for the amount of your amassed creature. Like it does damage to another creature equal to the size of your army. And there's like the blue common that mills for the size of your amass, like amass three and then mill for the size of your army. So... They don't necessarily have diminishing returns. They just you just need to be cognizant of the way that what you're getting paid for your extra versions of this effect is different than what you're getting paid for your first versions. What do I think about surrounded by orcs, the blue card that mills with the mass? So that's an example of one of those cards that pays you for going really deep on a mass. And I think that um, especially if you just have multiple copies of that, then, uh, you know, then you might want a bunch of other amass. And then, you know, your first like moves, you know, you cast your other amass stuff first. You maybe get a four, four, and then you cast that and you make a seven, seven and mill them for seven. And then your next copy, you put it up to a 10, 10 and mill them for 10. That's not unrealistic. And Mill 17 is a lot. It's not automatically kill someone, but it does mean that they're dead pretty quickly if you can play a defensive game and, you know, dead if you have like any other mill effect or something. So, you know, I think it's not like a premium common, um, but it'll have a home. Um, I, I think it is a thing that you can draft around heard people be down on mushroom watchdogs but especially in green black and green white it looks like one of the better ways to use extra food to me how do you evaluate the card i think they're good i think that the two drops so mushroom watchdogs is green one for a two two stack of food put a plus one plus one counter on it 
and it gets vigilance activate only as a sorcery i don't feel like the two drops overall are like that great and this one seems pretty good to me and uh it's not that hard for some archetypes to like be pretty good at making food and i think this is a very good way to translate food into aggression rather than like defense so like i guess that's to say i'm particularly interested in something that can make a resource do something that's like radically different from what it otherwise does so um i'm i'm pretty optimistic about the mushroom watchdogs um if you end up with a decent number of ways to make food in red green uh it's like a way to get a cheap creature that can be a like four power creature which is kind of nice yeah so i don't know i i'm i'm optimistic about them what do you think about treason of isengard in general two of them loop but it's yeah so treason of isengard is a mass three mana a mass to put one instant or sorcery card from your graveyard on top of your library so if you have two of them and you want to, you can just keep making your army too, too bigger. I would not describe that as an appealing use of this card. I think skipping your draw step to have a single creature that gets plus two, plus two every turn is a very, very weak strategy. Um, if you have some really, really, really good instants and sorceries, then this is an acceptable regrowth type effect. I guess it's more like reclaim. I, I think that this is a pretty weak common that will still see a little bit of play. Like, occasionally it'll be right, but most of the time you won't want it. Where would I place the format speed among recent sets? Hesitate to hazard a guess, but I guess I would say that the one and two drops don't look all that punishing, and uh, the, like, land cyclers seem very significant. So my guess is that the curve is, like, more bell than others. Like, I think that it, you're less likely to end a game very, very early and less likely to end a game very, very late. But more, I, I think, and I think that, like, you're usually going to end more in the, like, 7 to 10 range than the, like, 5 to 7 range by quite a bit. Is there anything I'm looking forward to trying? I mean, I'm looking forward to trying whatever presents itself. Uh, I, I like to try everything I can in new formats. I guess, you know, the combinations that I mentioned seemed good to me are probably the ones I'm most interested in. So White Black, Grixis, Abzan. Um, interested in seeing what's going on in the blue-white space. Blue-red is probably pretty strong. It's a little bit more aggressive than I prefer to play. Uh, and green-white, I'm really interested in seeing how those things come together. All right. And I suppose I'll uh, wrap it up there. I'm looking forward to getting a much better idea about what's going on with this set after playing it tomorrow. And um, I will be back next week for probably another overview but i might just go straight into an archetype at this point i'm really not sure i'm gonna see how i'm feeling about it after playing with it so uh yeah thanks for listening have a good week enjoy the uh pre-release and such and i'm looking forward to getting into um full coverage of this set uh moving forward bye for now everyone prepare for light speed